Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Juan. And this is my RP life. I created this platform for the blind and visually impaired community can come together and share their stories about what they go through. You can follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, and subscribe to me on YouTube. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Juan. And this is my RP Life Podcast. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to My RP Life. I am your host, Juan. <clears throat> Before we get this in, I just want to say subscribe to me on YouTube, follow me on Twitter, and you can also join my Facebook group page, My RP Life Family and Friends Group. I am the admin there, and my beautiful diva Deb is the head admin also. She's the one who runs it. Shout out to her, my beautiful diva Deb. Mwah. Love you, baby. And um, subscribe to me on Spotify, podcast, iPod, and Google Podcast, just to name a few. I deeply appreciate all that love and support from everyone around the world. And I have a special guest on, my brother from another mother, the champ, Victor, the victorious. And this is my brother from another mother. So say what's up, champ. What's up, my brother? Glad to have my face in the place. And as you said, the champ is here. Right. <laughs> Um, okay, so my brother, I have um, a few questions for you. And question number one, like I, I say to everyone who comes on here on my podcast, um, how did you lose your sight? And um, explain that so people can get to know you more. And um, just let's start from there. Like, you know. Just let them know that you was, you know, you lost your, how you lost your sight and stuff like that. All right, my brother, not a problem. But um, my story is a little different in a sense because, right. well, it started, I was 13 and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Right. And at that age, I was petrified. I'm like, how in the hell did I get this thing? Is it going to kill me? Is there a cure? You know, I'm like, what the heck is going on? The only thing I knew at that time is that I was going to have to take insulin shots. Mm -hmm. And as I got to know about the disease, there were three things that I learned that I didn't ever want to experience. Right. I never wanted to have an amputation. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to lose my kidneys, and I never wanted to be blind. Mm -hmm. And I battled diabetes for 24 years mm. and it has beat me up it has beat me up bro as you know mm -hmm. yeah, and I, know. I guess around 1997 is when I first started seeing little changes in my vision mm -hmm. so I started wearing eyeglasses 
And I wore eyeglasses for about another 10 to 13 years. And it was around 2011. My vision really started to change at that time. Um, it was shortly after the earthquake we had here in August. And I remember going to the doctor's office, and my doctor's appointment, actually. Mm -hmm. And they ejected the dye in my eyes, and the doctor said at the time that yeah, I had a lot of bleeding going on, and I was diagnosed with diabetic retinopathy. But that wasn't new to me because I was told that previously. Right. And in 2009, I also started dialysis. Mm -hmm. And, of course, um, that means going to a clinic three times a week and get the blood pulled out of you, mm -hmm. clean, returned to you. That's about a three-and-a-half-hour to five-hour process, depending on how sick you are. And I had the blessing of living close to my center where I could walk. Mm -hmm. And I was, and that's rare. So I would get up on my treatment days, I'd walk, get back, no problem. But one October day, one, it was a beautiful sunny day, just like any other day. I go into my treatment, had no problems. They uh, check your blood pressure before you get off the machine. Mm -hmm. And so they checked it, and it turned out to be perfect. So I'm like, okay, great. I feel pretty good. Getting ready to, you know, grab my game go. Right. And I'll tell you, bro, when I was walking towards the waiting room that day, all of a sudden, bam, I went from foresight to no sight. Wow. It was just like somebody turned the lights out, bro. And the first thing I said was, can somebody help me? I'm like, I can't see anything. Right. And it was this big, like, gas throughout the entire center. Wow. And they rushed me out to the waiting room. And they was like, well, what happened? And I'm like, well, I can't see anything. And this has happened previously to me. And, you know, I would go home. I'd rest, you know, drink some fluids, and then it would come back. So right. I'm thinking, okay, if I go home and I do that, don't come back. So I go home and I rest. And when I woke up, bro, mm -hmm. sat on my side of the bed and opened my eyes. I'm like, wait a minute. My eyes are wide open and I can't see anything. Wow. And I was like, oh, snap. What, what the hell happened? Right. And ironically, the next day, mm -hmm. I was set to go and see an eye doctor. So mm -hmm. I get up the next day. My cousin, who's a an assistant who works with, you know, sickly people. She took me up there and they did these eye tests. Mm -hmm. Couldn't find anything. So they sent me home. Only to call me at home and tell me to come back up to the hospital. Where they kept me for a week and they ran all kinds of tests. One, they did MRIs, they did wow. CT scans, they did blood tests, spinal taps. Couldn't find anything. Wow. So they pretty much let me go after a week and say, okay, good luck. Sorry, while she's like, Wow. So, um, <clears throat> my mom actually went to a drugstore or a supply store and bought me my first cane. And it was like a candy cane. It had a curved um, handle. Right. And so that's how I got around for the first, I would say, four or five years. Wow. Um, I didn't know of any resources. I didn't know anybody one who right. was blind or visually impaired. So I was on an island by myself. Right. And it wasn't until maybe 20, 
2013, 2014, I finally got a actual white cane. Mm-hmm. Um, from the Columbia Lighthouse for the blind here. My mom, you know, bless her heart, she already knew these little basic skills of how to lead me and, and show me how to use the cane. So right. I pretty much leaned on her. Right. And in 2015, I finally got an answer. Mm-hmm. I saw a specialist at Georgetown here, and they said I had a condition called, are you ready for this? Yeah. It's called metabolic optic nerve neuropathy. Mm. And basically what they said was, on the day I lost my sight, there was a sudden catastrophic loss of blood to the optic nerve in the back of the brain. Mm. And of course, when the optic nerve loses blood, it dies. And it does not regrow. It does not regenerate. So any loss is permanent. And so they weren't dependent on that. Yeah. And so they did this test and sit checked to see if there was any blood flowing and they said, Well, typically in a normal person, the optic nerve appears pink. Mine they said was as white as a brand new dress shirt. It was like a bright white. Wow. I'm like, Okay, um thanks for shooting any hopes I had to get my sight back. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I hit rock bottom at that point, I'm like, Okay. Because again, I wasn't expecting this. You know, I went from exactly. having sight to wearing glasses, and then at some points, it was a visual impairment where it looked like I was looking through broken glass. But after a period of time, the rest of my eyes, my eyesight would appear to be normal again. Mm-hmm. And then to just lose it without preparation, without anything, it just <clears throat> boggled my brain. Yeah. Because it hit you all at once. On this island, mm-hmm. didn't know anybody, didn't know how I was going to cope. You know, I was I was stuck in a rut. And, you know, I was fortunate to um, talk to a high school friend who said, you know, you need to connect with people on Facebook. So I joined two groups on Facebook, one, and let's just say it was the smartest move I ever did on Facebook. Right. I have met so many interesting awesome people not only in the united states but around the world including yourself right you know and like my family and best friends mm-hmm. um they all happen to be blind and visually impaired right it's extraordinary right and even in 2019 um i was having severe headaches didn't know why so i go to the hospital and they then they tagged me with glaucoma mm-hmm they said I had two cataracts. Mm. One was a massive cataract in the right eye. They said it was attached to the lens. They said, well, we're not gonna bother that because the cataract might break and then we have to take the lens out and it's really gonna mess your eye up. And then there's a smaller one and the, and the left one and you're, you know, it's just a whole bunch of who shot job. Right. And I'm like, uh, okay, um, that's good to know, but if y'all are not gonna help me, why you? wasting my time telling me this. Just give me my eye drops so I can go on and live my life. You know? Exactly. Yep. Um it's a devastating blow to anybody to just lose it when you're not expecting it. But <clears throat> um God blessed me with, with family who loved and supported me. He blessed me with friends who support me and right. help me understand and, and deal with this thing because mm-hmm. it's a lot to deal with as you know. Yeah, and, and I, I understand where you're coming from, man, because even, 
even with me, it's, it's, it's like I say, it's still a struggle for me because I'm still newly blind. <clears throat> and um, it's only been like a year, I think about a year and a few months, probably like a year and six, probably more than that. But um, yeah, every day is a struggle for me too. Like when I lost my sight, it was, it was real rough, but <clears throat> I didn't, I tried my best not to mope about it or to be all upset about it. I tried my best to take what I've learned and the support that I already had um, from the community and implemented that into my life. And <clears throat> it's still a struggle today being totally blind because I'm still new at it, you know? But right. <clears throat> I just try my best to keep moving on and keep moving forward and picking myself up. So I get it, you know? <clears throat> and um, what I was going to ask you, so you are also, um, even though you're totally blind now for, it's about 10 years now, right? It'll be 10 years in October. And you, one of the, uh, it's been a life-changing decade, very life-changing. Yeah. Um, you lose your independence, your sense of independence, because in 2011, I just renewed my driver's license. <laughs> just renewed it in March. Right. And can you imagine having a totally legit driver's license mm -hmm. for eight years and you can't use it? Yeah. That sucked. And then... You know, when I turn 40, I have to go back to the DMV and I have to surrender it because I can't, I can't see. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's a shot to your, you know, to your ego, your, mm -hmm. your independence and everything. Right. You know, even <clears throat> being able to go out and do things. I was a, an avid writer. I love writing and typing on the computer. Can't, can't really do that now. Yeah. You know, so I, I had to do a lot of adaptations and learning how to do things differently. Right. So blindness is indeed um, change after change after change. Now, I got a question. Um, okay, so before we get into the other ones that I was going to ask you. Okay, so when you first lost your sight, so say you, say for example, a year in, like, did you, did you feel so down and so depressed that at one point you felt like just giving up? At one point, um, losing my sight, you know, because I, I was still grappling with diabetes at the time and dialysis. Mm -hmm. So it was like another blow. And I'm like, okay, Victor, now you're 33, you're blind, you're diabetic, you're on dialysis, your blood sugars and blood pressures are so high, you can't even get a number on the machines. Mm. Your stomach is sick every day. It's like, what, what's the purpose? You know, like, I don't want to be living like this every day. Right. I'm like, like, come on. This is, put me in the diabetic coma and just get me out of this misery. Right. Because um, at that point, it's like, okay, what, what, what else is going to happen? It started being, you know? it started being overwhelming for you. And, and at one point in your life, you felt like giving up, right? I did. But one thing that I've learned especially over the last 10 years, is that, mm -hmm. um, well, of course, my astrological science are Aries, and we're known to be very stubborn, mm -hmm. very headstrong, but we're resilient, and we thrive on positivity. 
Right. And, and we, we cling to those things that are positive. And then mm-hmm. um, my mom, she's a Taurus. So, of course, they're stubborn and <laughs> hard-headed and grounded, and they don't like a lot of change. <laughs> yeah. and, and my sire, well, he was a Sagittarius, and that's the fire sign, and they pretty much mimic in Aries. And, mm-hmm. and then my last name, um, anybody with my last name, they're, they're like, okay, he's stubborn. You know, so when when you build on that, right, and that's in my genes and and how I am, Mm -hmm. um, giving up was not an option, right? You know, I've been fighting even before I was born from my mom having to go on bed rest and and not having to do much of anything, just resting just for me to survive, right? And you know, having to grow up as a little boy and can't run with the other kids because I had a severe case of asthma, too. Battling diabetes and the changes it's put me through. I mean, <clears throat> dude, yeah, I've been fighting my whole my whole life, and and that's why I love the name Victor because it means winner, mm-hmm. it means champ, it means conqueror, mm-hmm. and it is basically who and what I am. Right. So I have to fight and I have to win. Right. And <clears throat> again, we hit that rock bottom. It's like okay. Um, I, I got tired of, of things just beating up on me. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people in our community and people in general don't like being told what they can't do. Right. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I got sick of it. Right. It's like, okay, blindness comes along. Okay, you can't drive. You can't write anymore. You can't go out on your own. It's like, okay, well, what am I going to do to prove you wrong? So, okay, I can't drive, but I have friends who drive. I have Uber. They're working on self-driving cars. I'm, I hope one day mm-hmm. I'll be able to drive a car again. If I can't write on pen and paper, well, I can write on a computer one day if I learn the skills. I had two smartphones that use um, talk over and talk to text. And so mm-hmm. I can speak or type what I'm going to say now. Right. So... It's just a, a matter of finding a way to get things done. Yeah, it takes time. And, and to just get knowing things. that you can and you will. Right, it takes time to get around all of that, you know? Right. <clears throat> like, eventually I know, you know, because you're a smart, educated brother, and I know, like, I know, like, how do, you, how do I say this? Like, eventually you'll get to it when it comes time, and it's, and it's there for you, like, learning how to use a computer and right. all this stuff because all that takes money too because computers and laptops ain't none of that stuff cheap you know so, i know right heck yeah and even if you try to get um like the only free stuff is like nvda and they even ask you um if you want to get the full like um I guess the full accessory, the full version, the full version, and they ask you if you want to pay like ten dollars or whatever, even though it's free, you know. But right, but you know, and I know it's hard because you know financially to get these things. But um, going on to my next question is: you are also a um, kidney and pancreas transplant survivor too, so. Um, tell them that story and how, what you went through in the hospital after dialysis and everything and what was that process and how um, what yeah like so what you went through and stuff like that 
So let them know that story from the beginning. Yeah, well, as I said, um, I was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of 13. Mm -hmm. And again, when I was educated, they tell you, within 10 to 15 years, you're, you're likely to go blind and you're likely to lose your kidney function and you're likely to lose a limb, mm -hmm. you know, a hand, a foot or something. So mm -hmm. it started in 09, actually. And my kidneys failed in January. Oh, way to start off the new year, right? Right. So <laughs> I'm on dialysis now. Started at February 17th mm -hmm. of 09. And my dad, bless his heart, um, was alive at the time. Um, he also was on dialysis. I'm actually um, the fourth member of my family right. to undergo dialysis. Um, my dad was not diabetic, though. He lost his kidney function due to high um, potassium levels. But mm -hmm. um, when I came to that decision, you know, if I wanted to start dialysis, it was a no-brainer because I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to say that diabetes killed me and, and I'd be another statistic. So right. um, I remember waking up from that surgery one because mm -hmm. it was my first ever surgery and I woke up mm -hmm. and I'm in a dialysis portion of the hospital mm -hmm. and I feel this pain and I happen to look at my side and they put a catheter in your chest Right. when you first start dialysis as you heard in Andrew's story. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at this tubing, it's two lines of blood, and it's this big machine, huge machine. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, is this the rest of my life? Is, is this it? And right. I'm like, it can't, it, can't, it can't end like this. It can't end like this. So I think about a month or so beginning dialysis, my nephrologist came to me and said, have you considered a kidney pancreas transplant? Mm. I said, well, uh, I thought about it, kidney. I'm like, I can get a pancreas too. Mm. Because I looked this up when I was 13, one, and pancreas transplants back then in the early 90s were not so common. Right. And just to get a pancreas back then was $46,000. I don't have that kind of money laying around. Wow. And I did my research and it was explained to me that if you are a type one diabetic, which I was, and you have kidney failure, it's beneficial to get both organs because when you get the pancreas on top of the kidney, now your blood sugars are back to normal. Mm -hmm. yep. And it protects that kidney. Whereas if you are diabetic and you just get the kidney, well, that doesn't take care of the diabetes. And then ultimately it's gonna attack that kidney and you're right back where you started. Right. So I'm like, okay, no brainer. I'm down. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. But um, with the insurance company that I had, mm -hmm. they contracted with the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, well, you guys got to help me get there. So I had to do a number of tests. I had to see an endocrinologist. I had to go through a psychological exam like really show them because you, you have to be sick, like really sick to be considered for this kind of surgery. Right. And so in 2010, I flew out to Chicago um, to meet with the transplant team. So, mm -hmm. so I'm, you know, first day I'm set to go in there and meet with the team. I sit through a class mm -hmm. 
and the class is over. We're getting ready to go into the exam rooms and talk to the doctors, one, and I get sick. Oh, wow. Really sick. Wow. And I go from the exam rooms to the emergency room, and they admit me in the intensive care unit. So here I am in Chicago, which is supposed to be a three-day stay. Uh-huh. Now I'm in the ICU, and like, okay, how long am I going to be here? And, and 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 when that happened, were you like you was visually impaired, or were you still sighted? No, I, I had total sight. I was totally sighted at this time. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, my companion with me at the time, you know, I'm like, I don't know how long I'll be here because I'm sick. Mm-hmm. Well, they come in the next day. They say, well, your insurance company doesn't want you to be here. So they packed me up one. What? They sent me home. I flew home from the ICU to the airport back to D.C. Wow. I'm like, okay. Um, thanks, guys. But that would be the last time I would go to Chicago because, well, wow. John called me in 2013 said, we can't carry you on our insurance anymore. We have to let you go. Wow. I'm like, okay, now I lose that opportunity. Now what? Wow. So in 2014, mm-hmm. my older brother, um, who was a Marine, served four years, mm-hmm. he was a type 1 diabetic. Mm-hmm. And he also um, was on dialysis, but he chose a different mode called peritoneal mm-hmm. dialysis, which he does himself at home. Mm-hmm. And so he got called for his transplant to take place in the University of Iowa, which is where Andrew got his. Right. And and so now I'm in a jealous rage, Ron. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> you need to tell me, mm-hmm. wait, wait. I, I was diabetic before my brother was. Mm-hmm. I started dialysis before he did. So how on earth did he get his organs before I did? Like, what the heck? Right. And at this point, I'm blind. I'm like, come on, really? Like, this isn't fair. And I remember because the same day he had his surgery, I had to go to dialysis. Right. And I got home. I really wasn't feeling well. And my mom was like, you can't worry about that. Just say you're next in line. Mm -hmm. Now, my brother was transplanted on May 7th Mm -hmm. of 2014. So his anniversary is in a couple of weeks. Right. Um, Actually, I think in the next four weeks actually, four weeks from today, to be exact. Mm -hmm. So in June of 2014, I go to my social worker at the dialysis center. I say, I've got to get back on that list. Give me a list of of hospitals that offer a kidney pancreas transplant. Mm -hmm. And so she's reading the list to me. And the first one she mentions is Georgetown University Hospital. I said, stop. That's where I want to go. So she gives me the contact information. My mom takes me up there. I get evaluated in June. July 9th, I get a letter at the dialysis and I get a call. Mm. I was approved. So That's now I'm on the, the active waiting list. Now the countdown is on. Right. And the time that I was listed with the University of Chicago, which was about one and a half years, was added on to the waiting time that I was going to gain while waiting for my transplant here at Georgetown. So that actually moved me up the waiting list. Oh. I'm like, okay, that's great. Heck you know, yeah. so I'm getting closer to the top. Right. So early August now, it's August the 4th. And now I'm talking to the surgeon and he says, well, 
We have about a 91% success rate here. We have a quick turnaround. And the last thing he said was, um, I can assure you I'll be seeing you real soon. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, doc, I'll see you then. So mm -hmm. 11 days later, Juan, it's noon on, I think it was a Friday, the surgery, uh, Nicole was. It's high noon. I just checked my blood sugar. It's over 500. Damn. I'm not feeling good. My blood pressure, my aide checked it before she left out for the day. It was over 200. Wow. So I'm sitting in the living room. Mm -hmm. My head is in my hands, and I'm like fed up. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sick of this. Something needs to happen. And my mom is sitting down there with me. So back then, they had, you know, um, seen the caller ID that comes on the TV. Yeah. So my mom had that enabled. So she looks up and she says, Georgetown's calling. Mm. And so she answers the phone and she tells me they, it's the transplant clinic. So I answer the phone, put it on speaker, and I say, uh, Mr. Armstead, um, I'm pleased to appoint they have an organ offer. Mm. It says from a 25-year-old, the organs are great. Um, you had to talk about this. Do you, do you accept? I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have a broken a permanently broken ankle, so I can't run like that on. <laughs> but when I get off that phone, yeah. I couldn't move fast enough. I so hear you, man. I, I you. ran down that hallway up to my room. I got myself dressed and was ready to go. My mom's like, okay, who are we going to call to get us up there? I'm like, mom, we ain't going to call nobody. We're going to get a cab. I don't care. And I don't like cabs, mom. <laughs> I was trying to get up to that hospital. So right. we get a cab. We get up to the hospital. They they already waiting on me. So, mm. um, unlike Andrew at the time, I was cut off from Facebook when I lost my sight. Because right. again, I had a BlackBerry Earth back in 2011. I had two of them on. I couldn't use them. Yeah. Because I didn't know they talked. So, mm -hmm. only thing I could do was make calls. So I couldn't document any of this. I wish I could had that technology then. Yeah. So it's me and my mom, we're up in the room, and I, I'm just waiting. And I'm so nervous, I can't sleep. I was literally up all night long. Mm -hmm. So the following day, it's transplant day. It's about 6 a.m., they come for me. They say, okay, Mr. Armstead, the organs are here. We're gonna take you downstairs, and we're gonna get you those organs, so. And then, you know, I'm sitting there like, okay, this, this is all make-believe, right? This is a, this is a joke. This can't be real. Mm -hmm. this, this can't be real. They will me down the hallway. No, nah, no, nah, I'm going to wake up. I know I'm going to wake up. This, this, this can't be happening. This is all a pipe dream. Now I'm in surgical waiting. And I'm down there and all around me one, I'm hearing, congratulations, you're getting your liver today. Like everybody in there was getting organs that day. Wow. And I'm like, okay. This, this, this is a make believe. This is actually gonna happen. Yeah. And at that point, mm -hmm. I had to relieve myself. So they get me to the bathroom because I needed it this a long time. Mm -hmm. So I'm in there and I say a prayer. I say, God, well, thank you for these organs. This is a a dire procedure, but hopefully I'll I'll get out of here and see everybody on the other side. So right. I come out. They put me back on the bed. The team gets her cancer, gathers around me. They pray. They wheel me into the operating room. 
And I mean, it's cold in that water. And I don't know if you ever had surgery, but those lights were so bright, I can't help but see them. Right. And you got monitors beeping and doctors buzzing all around. And I actually heard one of them say, the organs are over there in the cooler. Oh, wow. I so wanted to turn my head and look towards that cooler, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they put the oxygen on. And the last thing I remember was they said, okay, Mr. Armstead, we're about to get this miracle underway. We can start, you know, relax us and count back from 100. At this point, tears started rolling down the sides of my face, and I was out. Right. I was out. Wow. So when I woke up, it had to be the next day because my surgery, I was told, was 10 hours long because mm -hmm. it was complicated. Well, when they first opened me up, Juan, they saw that my appendix was impacted. Oh, wow. So they had to take that out first. Right. And once they got the appendix out, they did their little hookups and connections and and all of that stuff, and my blood sugar came down nicely. And so now I'm waking up in recovery, and I felt stuffed. I'm like, what the heck did they do to me in there? Because mm -hmm. like Andrew said, you feel like a stuffed turkey, and mm -hmm. my arms were tied to the bed because they was afraid I was going to pull my tubes out. Right. And they sent me up for an x-ray. And they said, um, this x-ray doesn't look good. Mm. And I'm told they have to take me back in the OR because now I'm bleeding. Mm. So they take me back in the OR. That's a couple of hours. And when I came to them in the intensive care unit, I got tubes wires all over the place. Wow. And it's different from what Andrew did because... See, Andrew was able to get up and move around like the energized bunny things after his surgery. Me, not so much because my blood pressure was, had, it was now too low. Yeah. Um, I could get out of bed. I, I have to sit down immediately. I'm like, I can't go for more. My blood pressure bond was like in the 70s. Wow. I can't walk with that. Uh-uh. And, and so because... They want me to get up, but I can't get up. I'm in bed. Now I'm developing um, clots in my lungs. Oh, shit. And now they got me on blood thinners. They had me on tents, oxygen tents. I even had an infection on my arm. Wow. A bacterial infection. So it was really complicated, bro. Now, typically, um, most patients are out within two weeks. Mm -hmm. My total hospital stay, because I actually had a stint where I came home for five days and then had to go back. Mm -hmm. But my total time in the hospital won 72 days. Wow. 72 days. So, and that was after the, the, the and that was after mm -hmm. the kidney transplant and pancreas transplant also. Yeah, this was the the day of the transplant was like the first full day in the hospital. That was August sixteenth. Wow. I didn't come home for good until Halloween that year. Wow. Damn. And my brother, who had his in Chicago, mm -hmm. I beat him by one day. <laughs> so he was out there for 71 days. And um, it, it was just weird. You know, I weighed 150 before transplant. Mm -hmm. I weighed 124 when I came home. So I couldn't eat anything. I had problems going to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Stomach was, it was 
awful line. It was awful. I could imagine, man. And came home, I was on a walker, I was pushed around in wheelchairs. It took me about two months to get my strength back, but I was gaining weight fast. Cause mm. Now I'm at home, I'm like, okay, mom, I got a pancreas down, so you can give me all the pound cake I can handle. <laughs> and I, I was eating at one. So by January, I went from 124 to 157. By March, I was up to 165. Right. So I was eating. I was plugging away. Right. And all was seeming well until 2016. Um, going to a doctor for my stomach and they gave me erythromycin. What's that? And it's an antibiotic. Oh, okay. And the doctor said, um, this may affect how your immunosuppressive drugs work. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. He says, it may raise it a little bit. I'm like, okay. He says, so we'll, we'll keep a watch on it. Um, within five days, one, I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I tackled limits levels new was seven times what it should have been. What the heck? In five days. Wow. And they said, Sir, if you didn't come in today, you probably would have died. Wow. So now they're running IV fluids nonstop for days. Mm-hmm. It took me back to when I first got my transplant because, you know, you're blind, and I don't know if Andrew went through this. But again, I want to know that it actually happened. You know, all I know is I have a 10 to 12 inch scar down my torso. Like, I don't have any proof. Right. Other than they checking my blood sugars and they're like, okay, they're in the 80s, they're in the 90s. Okay, I'm like, that's perfect. What about my kidney? Mm-hmm. Well, they said, because they put in a catheter to monitor your urine output, and I wasn't putting out very much. Mm-hmm. So they came to me and they said, Mr. Armstead, well, you probably don't want to hear this, but we want to dialyze you one more time. I said, you want to do what? Yeah, we, we want to dialyze you. Well, why do you want to do that? Did you just give me a kidney? Well, we think if we dialyze you one more time, maybe your kidney will wake up. Mm-hmm. I agreed to this one. Mm-hmm. So one more time, they hooked me up to the machine mm-hmm. while I'm in the ICU. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that was my last time. So, you know, because I started taking out urine then. I still, you know, was kind of like, okay, you're telling me I'm putting out urine, but how do I know this? Right. How do I know this? So they take me up to the floor, and they take the catheter out, which is painful, by the way. Mm-hmm. If you ever had a Foley, them things hurt, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, go on and coming out. Mr. Winky, if, Mr. Winky, right yeah. now is is hiding. Just <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. He, he wasn't winking too much. He had a black eye after that. Right. Um, so they take, they take the catheter out, mm-hmm. and I remember my mom and my aunt came to see me that day, mm-hmm. and I tell them, I, th- I think the time has come for me to to pee. Mm-hmm. So they step out. And you know the the urinals they give you this about 32, 32 ounces. <laughs> yeah. So no, I didn't like fill it up like like my brother Andrew did, but uh. I put out about a good twenty ounces. And um, you know when I heard it going in, I'm like, oh my god, I'm peeing again, mm-hmm. dude! I almost dropped the dang one thing because I was so excited. 
<laughs> that would have been a mess. <laughs> put it up on the table, uh, and her mom said the funniest thing. Mm. She came in the room, and she said, oh, my God, look at the pretty peepee. I'm like, Mom, really? <laughs> She's like, it's a beautiful golden. I'm like, Mom, really? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. for that moment, it was like, you know, big burdens off my shoulders, big challenge overcome like no more the Alice's now. Right. And the Alice's do it it drains the life out of you. Mm. It 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 takes away your life because you don't have the freedom to go where you want when you want to because you have to plan your life around every treatment. Right. You know, like today, if I was still on it, you know, it would be my off day. So I'd have to get up tomorrow, 6 a.m. Wouldn't be done till about 11, 11.30. It would be too weak to do anything else. Yeah, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah, it does. And then not including, um, if you ever saw the Dallas News, dude, um, I don't think Andrew told you this, but if you ever wanted to know how big they are, think of a stick, a popsicle, not a popsicle, a lollipop stick. That's how big they are. Like, um, most needles, like an insulin needle, are like 29, 30 gauge. Really small. Mm-hmm. The Alice's needles, dude, are like 14, 15. Man. They're that big. And as Andrew said, they have to create an access in your arm called an AD fistula where they take mm-hmm. a vein, in my case, deep in your arm. They have to thread it under your skin and connect it to an artery. And it creates a super vein, and this thing grows. Wow. The more you use it, it grows. And um, right now, if you were to put your hand on my arm, mm-hmm. you could feel it. And it runs from my elbow all the way up to my armpit. Wow. It's that big. And That's on your bicep, or is that like on the inner part of your arm? It's on the inside part of your arm. Now, some people who have AV fistulas and they also have grafts, but mm-hmm. an AV fistula is your own artery and vein, mm-hmm. and they're typically on the inner half of either your forearm or your upper arm. Mm-hmm. Some people actually have it in their thigh, but mm-hmm. I don't want nobody sticking a big needle in my thigh. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, even to have that surgery, I had like, five surgeries to build them and they weren't growing they weren't developing so mm-hmm. i have two scars one on either side of my wrist i have two more on either side of my elbow and then i have one long scar from my elbow up to my armpit when they literally had to go in the in the deepest part of my arm and dig this big vein out called a basilic vein mm-hmm. and tunnel it under my skin and then as I said, connected to your artery and it grows to where they can put these big old needles in there, two of them, mm-hmm. and just pull your blood out and then put it back. Right. <clears throat> wow. Um, all right, my brother. So thanks, man, for like sharing that part of your story about your life. Now, my other question is um, for you. Now, now that you receive your kidney and pancreas transplant and I know mm-hmm. and I know you you're a fighter and you've been fighting all your life but do you feel more now than ever that 
to keep on striving forward, to keep on living, and to even do more to take care of those the kidney and pancreas. And do you feel like what you've received from this person who's donated um, their kidney and pancreas, do you feel like it's, how do you say, damn, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like, in, like, ah, oh, man. Like, obligated, perhaps? No, not. Is that the word? No, not obligated. Well, obligated, yes, too, but obligated to, to, like, you owe it to that person in a way to, to make better of your life, you know, not to be like always constantly down or like depressed. Cause I don't really know if you're getting depressed, you know, and stuff like that. But, you know, do you feel like you're obligated in a way to move forward in life and to keep succeeding and doing what you do? You know? Well, well, bro, I would say it like this. Um, as I told you, when I became blind, mm-hmm. it and dialysis and balance, I, it took the wind out of my sails. Right. It's like, okay, um, I was never one to like wake up grumpy or with an attitude because it gets you nowhere. Exactly. So, but I'm like, okay, um, what's, what's the purpose of me trying to push others to be the best or even myself right. when it was like, bad things were snowballing and hitting me left and right. Right. So when I sat and I think, okay, here I am. I was 36 years old at the time of my transplant. I just celebrated my 43rd birthday a week ago. Right. So here I am. I got two organs I didn't think I was going to get. When I thought at the time, they were imminent death sentences. Right. Um, as a, as Andrew said, I did come up with two sayings. Diabetes was die or beat this. Right. And dialysis, die, I'll assist. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, um, I, I'm not dying. You know, you're not going to kill me. Exactly. So when I think about, because my donor was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. That's all I know about them. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if he died because of a car accident or an illness or, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I was given a second chance, you know, kind of like an extended play. So I'm allowed to run more laps. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where this 25 year old person who I already outlived by 11 years, no longer has that opportunity. So I, yes, I feel obligated and responsible for paying it forward. Exactly. And to live in my life to the point where they're looking down and saying, okay, this person who received my kidney and pancreas is not living his life in vain. Right. So how do you do that, Victor? Well, how do you, you know, show this to other people? Well, when I returned to Facebook in 2015, mm-hmm. I kind of changed my approach. Now, I was on Facebook, I joined Facebook in 07. Mm-hmm. And back then, I was one to write a lot of romantic stuff. I was one to write about my job, my family, sports, that kind of thing. Right. Now, when I write on Facebook, 
over 90% of what I write is motivational, inspiring, encouraging, or something really profound mm -hmm. that makes people think. <clears throat> and I gain positivity and the drive to do more for myself mm -hmm. when I see that the things I say and do positively affects other people. Right. That's where, you know, in the support group where I met Andrew and you heard that story mm -hmm. and being able to be in the right place at the right time to catch that moment and say, dude, I got information you need to know. You need to go and get this pancreas. And Andrew was like, what are you talking about, dude? They tell me about a pancreas. What do you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, trust me. I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And Andrew and I talked for hours, days at a time about this. Mm -hmm. And we launched a movement in 2019. We actually collabed on a page called Insightful Courage. Yeah, I remember that. And I did a broadcast in the support group that we're in. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying in that broadcast, by the end of the year, Andrew is going to have that transplant. Mm -hmm. I was so adamant about that one, so adamant. It was something I truly believed because I wanted that for Andrew. Right. He deserved that. Mm -hmm. And so when he got that call mm -hmm. that he was going to the hospital, I think I was one of the first people he called. Mm -hmm. I was happy for the brother. I was happy for him. Right. And I went on Facebook and letting people know. And to me, it wasn't. You know, I, I never went around saying, yeah, I did it. I, I, I'm i not that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, God gets the glory out of that. I it just happened to be the vessel mm -hmm. that God used. Exactly. But that's one of the biggest things I can say. Well, I did pay it forward. Yeah. I, I, I helped a guy who I didn't know save his life to get him the life that he now enjoys. Right. So... You know, when I hear him saying that he's fixing cars, something he does as, as a passion and a way to make a living, and he's able to, to be a husband to his wife mm -hmm. and a father to his son mm -hmm. and a friend and an inspiration to those who he knows, mm -hmm. that means a lot to me, Juan. It does. Yeah, because it drives me to keep doing the work that I'm doing, and it lets me know mm -hmm. that what I'm doing isn't in vain. Right. As a matter of fact, that's how I met you, Mr. Andrew. Right. And then we, you know, we grew close and now we're best friends and brothers and right, exactly. And, and just reaching across the spectrum and when people heard about, you know, Andrew and my story and how we, it, it just inspires people. It, it, right. it really does. And even when Andrew had his surgery four days later, mm -hmm. what happens? I get sick. Mm -hmm. I end up in a hospital. Right. I remember. I'm like, what is it now? Mm -hmm. Well, Mr. Armstead, it looks like you had pancreatitis and you have an impacted intestine. Mm -hmm. What? Excuse me? Mm -hmm. Well, which pancreas is affected? Y'all not... Juan? <laughs> Tell me you do. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that I'm sitting there in the emergency room, I have an nasogastric tube in place. Mm -hmm. That's a tube that they run up your nose down your throat into your stomach mm. okay that's pumping fluid out wow. and then you're vomiting on top of that bro wow i had that much fluid in my system and and it, it wowed the doctors and they're like because actually the fluid was red 
mm-hmm. and green and they're like, if you, yeah, we're going to keep you, dude. So a couple of days later, they, they take me to the operating room. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so now I got to recuperate from abdominal surgery myself because they had to reopen my transplant, sir, my transplant scar. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in the hospital having to recuperate myself while trying to hold it together and be strong for Andrew, who's over a thousand miles away recuperating from his transplant surgery, mm-hmm. when my birthday was three days away. Hey, right. I'm like, yeah. okay, gee, like, okay, but then we gotta keep it together. And and Andrew actually beat me out the hospital. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, huh? Like, okay, Andrew got out in 21 days. And that hospital stay thank God was my last one, was 25 days. Mm-hmm. And coming out of that and, and realizing again that, okay, um, it's not going to be smooth sailing. Um, there's still going to be challenges ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you see them coming or not, you got to be ready to fight. You got to be on, on the positive side right. and, and have that approach. So I, I just can't think, you know, like, oh God, what next? What's the worst thing? No, 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 I can't have that mindset. I can't. And so I I just have to keep plugging and then motivating and inspiring people because again, if if somebody, if I can reach somebody and get them to a better place, whether it's physically, spiritually, however it is, I know I'm doing the work I'm supposed to do. Right. And so when I have that, I know I'm not letting myself down. I'm not letting my donor down in that family or anyone else who's watching. Right. And now, okay, so now my next question, because um, I know just like myself, I try my best to motivate and do positivity and, you know, push people. But there's also, you know, the question I'm going to ask you, it also happens with me too. So you, if you answer it whichever way you answer it, you know, just to let you know, it also happens with me, where the positivity and the motivation that you share and your ideas, how you do on your broadcast on Facebook and stuff like that, and you, you tell these people how you feel or try to motivate them to get through with what they're going through like I do, do you sometimes tell yourself, wow, I'm, I'm sharing these ideas, I'm motivating these people, but there's a point in my, in my life where I, do, I, do I take my own advice? You know what I'm saying? So like mm-hmm. when, when you feel down or depressed from whatever the case may be, you know, because I know I go through it too, but like, do you also take your own advice? Because I know it happens with me, but, you know, do you also take that? You'll be like, okay, I'm motivating this person, motivating that person. But there's a point is, yeah, like, I, you know what I'm saying? I get exactly what you're saying. And it, and it does happen. Right. It does happen to me a lot. Right. Um, even... You know, because I've been doing the whole public speaking thing for a long time. And right. unfortunately, I don't have those recordings. But I do remember that the time it was, the place, the things are said. Mm-hmm. 
and, and and how those things affect me. You know, if I wanted to share my story to someone who I barely know, right? Um, and you know how tough that can be because it's like, okay, how do I open up to this person? Yeah, how can I relate know. to them mm-hmm. in a way where they understand where I'm coming from and that they know I know what they're going through? Right. So. I did a broadcast one day and I talked about don't be afraid to show your scars. Right. Because we all have them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's physical, mental, I like we all have them. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm meeting someone new and I'm trying to connect with them, I'm like, okay, you have to go back and and listen to that. Right. You can't be afraid to tell people your story because mm-hmm. it's motivators and people who inspire. How can you do that if you don't have an example or a story to tell them to get them to see where you're coming from or been through that experience exactly it's, it's like it, i go back to to me and andrew mm-hmm. how could i tell or give andrew that knowledge mm-hmm. about why it was important for him to get the pancreas right unless i went through it right you know so any question that he could possibly ask mm-hmm. i was in the perfect position to answer it even better than a doctor because yeah doctors are both smart mm-hmm. yeah doctors are the ones doing these procedures but we're the ones going through it mm-hmm. you know and even the, the beautiful thing even though i hated having to go through surgery and recover while andrew was doing it it was a spiritual sense okay bro you're not by yourself mm-hmm. i'm right here with you everything you're experiencing bro i've been there right yeah, I know what it's like. The, like I said, the whole feeling like you've been stuffed, or when you stand up and your blood pressure is low, or I've been through that. So I was able to connect with Andrew on such a, a powerful level that way, or even other people in our community who may grapple with retinopathy or diabetic complications like neuropathy and losing their teeth. Like there's so many things that I've experienced in my 43 years that I can use and, and pretty much relate to just about anybody. Right. So basically, it's just a matter so of basi- finding that, that appropriate avenue. Right. So basically the advice that you're giving is because you experienced it and you've lived it and you're also taking you're also taking the extra advice because you're helping not only them, but you're helping yourself through them while giving that advice. So you're basically taking your own advice. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, I'm taking my own advice in addition to to help you advice I get from, from my closest friends because there's a select few that I go to, including yourself. Right. I ask, you know, what's going on? How do you do this? And, it's right. like forming a, a strand, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. why, and that's why I asked you that question, is because there are people out there that they they talk, but they don't take their own stuff. You know what I'm saying? They don't take, right. they don't, they don't implement it into their own life. You know, right. and, and that's why I asked that question. Like I'll be asking questions like that to everybody. It's not going to only be you. So, right. So that's why I wanted to you know, let the people know, you know? And yeah, because one area that I do it well in is I, I love talking about relationships. And so right. I'm not going to be one to give advice about a relationship right, or even a situation and not apply it to my own. Exactly. I, I wouldn't do that. 
Exactly. Because if, if I say, for example, guys, don't cheat on your women. Mm-hmm. What kind of guy would I be? What kind of example would I be if I'm telling guys don't cheat, mm-hmm. and yet I'm out doing that that very thing? Right. It makes no sense. It belies the logic. So yeah, it makes you. It, um, it makes you like. Um, what's that word I'm looking for? <clears throat> well, probably like two-faced in a way, I think. Maybe. Yeah, 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 hypocrite. Hypocrite, you know? yeah, that, yep. <clears throat> but yeah, okay, so my next question, because we're about almost an hour in, so um, my next question is, my brother, um, the people don't know, so you're in a relationship, and let's talk about that young lady. <laughs> Cause oh, why? Why? Uh, um, <laughs> dude, I could talk forever about this this young woman. Right. That God has blessed me with, man. Um, mm-hmm. I've known her for about two years. Um, actually, when we met, I was dating someone else, but she mm-hmm. had a crush on me, bro. Yeah. I didn't know it though. Right. And <laughs> but she she sent me a friend request because she liked the things I was writing and saying. Mm-hmm. You know, not just romantically, but the inspiring and encouraging things. So, right. um, I try to befriend her, you know, mm-hmm. and she was like, uh, don't you have a girlfriend? Like, leave me alone. Go away. Get lost. <laughs> and, and she was hard as nails to crack. Right. She was. Mm-hmm. But last year, I think she was going through some things herself. And ironically, I was one of the first people she reached out to. Mm-hmm. And I just gave her that genuine, that genuine friendliness and compassion that, that I give to my friends. And mm-hmm. um, the relationship I was in, um, she dumped me. Um, thank God she did. Um, best thing she ever did for me. Yeah, I remember when um, you sent me a voice clip. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, her name is Evelyn, um, for those who don't know. But who, who knows Evelyn or knows me and don't know? that we're engaged to each other um, right and she'll be here and she'll be here soon too yeah um, so it's one of the the biggest stories in the bvip community um i wouldn't even have the presence that i have in the community had it not been for her mm-hmm. um she has a group on whatsapp called call feature i can talk ease i go on there and then because i also want to be a radio personality by the way yeah, no, and we're gonna get you worked on that too. <laughs> and it's attitude, and it, I love bantering and joking around with people and just making them laugh. And right. dude, she's a, a breath of fresh air, probably one of the biggest blessings mm-hmm. I have right. going for me right now. <clears throat> and, and I'll say this, dude, I hate the fact that I'm like, I absolutely hate it. But one thing I tell people is this. Mm-hmm. It's not a curse. It's actually a blessing because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have best friends like you <clears throat> or your or your lady, Diva Deb. Right. Um, another best friend or Trisha mm-hmm. or Andrew right. or even Evelyn. I, I wouldn't know any of you uh, probably if I wasn't blind. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, that goes back to reaching for the positive things even though being blind is probably one of the worst things anybody would ever want to have happen to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when I look at Evelyn, you know, she was born blind. Mm-hmm. And it's like, damn, you know, like, I can't imagine going through that pain. But right. the unique is the uniqueness in our relationship is that 
she brings a skill set and a knowledge and experience I'll never have. Mm-hmm. And me being cited for the first 33, I have a skill set and a knowledge and experience that she has yet to experience because I believe one day she will see. Yeah. So it, it, it blends into this awesome love affair with madly <clears throat> love and hopefully soon and very soon we'll be married. Mm-hmm. And right. I tell you, dude, the more I think about her, the more my heart just wants to beat out of my chest. You know how I feel about her. I know my it's, it's just know. It's just the same as you do about your deep and dead, man. We could go <laughs> yep. from now till the end of the year, far beyond talking about our Right? Shoot, I don't even... <laughs> we're already about an hour in. I, I don't have that much um, gigs on, <laughs> on my phone. We'll be here talking about them for, like, prior until the next day. <laughs> I know, right? <clears throat> right. But, mm-hmm. um, it... My life wouldn't be where it is or what it is without her. So, right. I thank God and the, the skies above for, for blessing me with her. I thank my mom mm-hmm. for, you know, opening up the home mm-hmm. and her heart and allowing her to come here. Right. And, and be with us and allow our relationship to grow mm-hmm. and to thrive. Because if, if my mom didn't play the role that she did, well, it would just be another long distance relationship. Right, exactly. Um, I've had my fair share of those, and I don't want any more. So, exactly. And then she made the sacrifice of saying, "Okay, I'll come to you." <clears throat> she basically picked up her life, dude, and yeah, said, "I'll start a new one with you." So, yeah. Um. All right, my brother. So hold on. Let me see where we at on time. One hour and four minutes, my brother. Hold on. Let me find the stop button. All right, so um, I'm going to end this broadcast, my brother. Um, thank you, like, for being here, telling your story. You know, I'm happy that you did that to share your story in your life. And I'm also happy that you're here and you, you talk about everything you needed to talk about to, you know, let everybody know. Um... The other thing is, um, God bless you, your future wife, your mama queen. And um, <clears throat> there's anything else you would like to say before um, I end this broadcast, my brother? Most definitely, Juan. Um, first, I want to thank you and Diva Deb for inviting me here to come on by Art Your Life. I had a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that sharing my story will motivate, encourage, and inspire your, your followers. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say to both my mama queen and to my champette, which I call her affectionately, I love you guys. <laughs> um, you guys are absolutely awesome, and I thank God for both of you. And I would encourage anyone under the sound of my voice to please subscribe to my rp like you know follow this dude on twitter follow him on youtube join this group on facebook just hit the dude up because i'm telling you you're going to connect with a lot of awesome people globally and it's an experience you don't want to miss so connect with this dude one of the smartest moves i ever made (laughs) thank you my brother i appreciate um your love and support for me and you know being by my side also my brother so ladies and gentlemen this is my rp life i'm your host and that was 
my brother, aka the champ, Victor, the victorious. And don't forget to subscribe to my RP Life. Follow me on Twitter. Join my Facebook group page. Um, my RP Life family and friends. I'm the admin there, and my beautiful Diva Deb is also the main admin. Like I always say, she's the one who runs the group. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> yeah, so if you're listening to both of our voices, please subscribe and check out um, my brother's, um, what's it, coffee drinking talkies, right? <laughs> yeah, you can find me on WhatsApp, Messenger, and Facebook under the group Coffee Drinking Talkies. I also have a group uh-huh. called We Care to Share. Right. As well. And you can also find me on the Facebook pages Insightful Courage and Straight from BA Heart. So exactly. Check those out. Exactly. Check my brother out, you know, you know, and you can also um, join the groups and stuff like that. So God bless everyone. Peace out. My name is Juan and this was my RP life. Take care everybody.